Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 308, and we continue to be powered by DeerCast. You're Tim Chelswick. You are... You're supposed to speak Matt up. Drury. <laughs> you just got feedback that you are not enunciating and you're not loud That was enough. not it. Oh, I just made that part up. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying words that aren't real, like twiddle puff. <laughs> That's a reference to the last episode for those Yeah, listening. Yeah, Jay Gorish from School of the Wild. Hey, that was pretty interesting. So we actually have a tie, a connection to last week's episode with this week's episode. Two educators? Yeah. <laughs> this week, we have one of Mark's farm managers, Perry Batten, with us. What's up, buddy? Perry. How's it going, guys? It's going good. We got a lot to cover with you. This is the first time we've had you on, and first of all, I think you'd like to clear the air on how you got the nickname Perry Button. Aww. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, if you're going to have a nickname, you just got to ride it out. And this year was no different. I shot 62 antlerless deer and two of which were buttons. So, you know, the percentage just worked themselves out. And, <laughs> what what uh, is that percentage? Uh, Grant Wood says if it's under 5% of the total kill number. Oh, you threw Grant Woods under the bus somehow. <clears throat> Congratulations. I thought Tim was asking you if you could do the math on the fly and tell us yes. what the percentage yes. of 62 antlerless deer, with how many two were buttons. Yeah, he said the math worked out. I just wanted to hear the math. <laughs> two. <laughs> Two's not bad. Well, if it's any consolation, I also killed a button buck this year, and I did not shoot near as many deer as you did. So your percentage is way higher. Mm-hmm. In my experience, if you don't shoot anything, you can't kill a Ooh, button buck. A, you're a preservationist. <laughs> More of a bird watcher. Oh, he's got he's got the best odds out of us all. <laughs> That's right. I am batting a Man. thousand. <laughs> Haven't killed anything. Nice job. That's right. <laughs> so Perry, uh, you know we've obviously we tried having you on a few different times throughout the season, and and just schedules hadn't worked out. But I, it's a good time to have you chat with us now because a few things. One, we just had. Uh, as Tim alluded to, Jay uh, from School of the Wild on last week, and you participated in that this fall with Mark and 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 the and Wade and some of the crew up there in Iowa. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And then later on, I want to jump into what you guys are doing this time of year and pre and predator control, because obviously a very timely for February to try to put a dent in the the coyote population. For sure. Um, the touch on school of the wild was something we got invited to here. It was Decatur County schools locally. Um, and we just went and talked about kind of like what we do every day and conservation driven things, you know, whether it's CRP for clean water or, you know, managing the does because of deer collisions for, mm -hmm. you know, highways and roadways for cars. But I mean, what a program that those schools have going on that I think should be going on across the the United States everywhere those kids I think spend a week out in you know nature yep. and they spend an entire week of school outside and each day they learn about something a little different and we we were blessed to be a guest speaker 
um, for the one of the days and uh, mainly just hit on conservation and everything that we try to do to make the ground and land better than when we found it. So, but I mean, the knowledge of those kids was impressive. Uh, we threw out some questions and they threw out some questions that <laughs> even myself, Mark and Wade were like, we're going to have to think on this one, you know? And uh, it was, it was a really special um, day and really cool to see a school district doing that. Mm-hmm. Did you wear a tweed jacket with leather patches to <laughs> on the elbows uh, fill out the, uh, <laughs> the instructor motif? I didn't know. Hey, on a (laughs) serious note, did you feel like there was any correlation between that and like your days and and back in high school when you were in the FFA? And because I know you were you were big into that. I mean, did it kind of remind you of that in certain instances? Um, Certainly in some instances, um, you know, as far as like for FFA and stuff, we studied, you know, soil and water and all that conservation side of things. So. Um, to start those kids into that. And they, I think they had each specific days set aside for water, for soil and for some other things. So um, I think that's kind of a kickstart, if you will. And then to become into FFA in high school, you know, you continue those things a little bit deeper doing soil tests, pH and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty cool. So, you know, moving, moving on past this, I talked about the predator side of things. You guys, when you're, when you work for Mark or Terry, you you know, there are so many different things that you get through. I mean, literally you got to be a jack of all trades, a master of, of all, you know, not a master of none, a master Mm -hmm. of all, because you are in a lot of ways, a one man crew with you. You have Wade next to you a lot of times helping out too. And, and obviously you guys have your, both have your own strengths, but what kind of projects does Mark have you working on this time of year? I know um, after a season like you guys go through, I mean, it's a grind for like four straight months, almost every day for four months. It's a total grind. So once you finally get out of the season, I, uh, you know, what, what is it that you guys do for the next couple of months until turkey season hits? Um, it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with the season and kind of like cleaning up what we – had out you will you know all the keen omega lift systems with the blinds on them um those all get pulled no matter where they're at they get pulled and brought to home base at hatch and uh we clean them out put tire covers on them and kind of store them for next year so that's a that's a big project and then uh we really dive into cameras (laughs) and pulling all trail cameras is a few days to a week job and then we take each trail camera clean it off de-battery it decard it and store all those things and we check batteries for percentages you know whether they're 75 to 99 percent you know we can start the year off next year with those Mm -hmm. being reused um and so that process is a is a solid week as well just all trail cameras and when i say all it's it's got to be close to 200, maybe over that. Um, I could update you on that list because we're in the middle of, we just carried them all into Mark's house mm. and uh, starting that process. So that's, and then, uh, and then this year we've, me and Wade got a little friendly farm competition of kind of the predator control 
who can catch the most coons and coyotes and bobcats and um, raccoon or uh, raccoons, possums, every nest predator is kind of on the list. And uh, also we've kind of gotten into coyote hunting pretty deeply. So, mm-hmm. so who's in the lead? <laughs> I'd have to add up the numbers. We're real close. Does were on there as well. So I was ahead of him on that number, but I think he's got me a few coyotes ahead and, well, I know we're both in the seventies for coons. Jeez, so we've uh, we've been working on them. Coons and possums seem to be the unsung nest raiders. That pe- when people think about predators, they think coyotes and bobcats, and I think f- for worse, raccoons and possums go under the radar a little too much. Yep, for sure, I'd agree with that. I mean, you think about. The coons, possums, raccoons, everything has their ability for that 14 days of no fly for a turkey um, pole. It can't fly for 14 days, so everything can get at it for that 14. But your main predators for the nesting period is those coons and those possums. They find the nest, and, and they're gone. We had, uh, on one of our episodes, we had the real wild clip was a coon trying to get into the Fight, nest. Yeah. And that was cra- like on, on trail camera, like a video of it. And it was pretty crazy to watch. I mean, or was it wow. photos? I don't remember. But he, he kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And that, that hen was really fighting him off. And then I think the end of the the, the time lapse was, was turkey. The poults. Yeah. 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 So which, cool. which just gives you a better appreciation for like they're always on duty. There's never a time when they're not in danger yeah. from something raiding the nest or for something just trying to predate them. And I know, you know, in years past when dad went, when say like forced, uh, you know, really focused in on, um, like coon, you know, the coon population in general, his Turkey population that, I mean, would almost see an immediate increase an explosion in his turkey population on the years where they really focused in on the coon, you know, trapping or whatever. Sure. So I, th- they're doing the same thing right now. I know Forrest has, has killed yep. quite a few coons already, and he's been trying to uh, kill coyotes. I don't think he's has much luck on that side of it just yet. But that that's really, I mean, it's crazy to think how much of an effect they have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I I wish Missouri because I don't think our raccoon season opens until like November first. I wish it would open up earlier because I always see raccoons in September and October, and they're just hands hands. When off does it point. close in Missouri? Uh, the end of February would be the end of trapping season. Uh, they extended it, which helps because here in Iowa we just pulled out of everything because we're done in the end of January. And uh, so Missouri's kind of got that extra month, so we'll probably move some stuff down there. It's crazy to me. I don't understand, uh, and this is, I'm sure there's a biology reason or some sort of reason why they don't let it just go year-round, but what they're, they're such a nuisance. Why wouldn't you let it go year-round? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, honestly, for coyotes here in Iowa, you can hunt 365, 24-7. So night hunting, day hunting, 365 days a year, which is pretty amazing because you can shoot them whenever you see them. Um, I understand states that close it during turkey season so that and deer season so people aren't you know, out mm. doing different things at different times. Yeah. But in Missouri, there is an actual night season. It doesn't open until February 1st and runs till mid or 
late March, but it's like, why restrict the guys who are dedicated enough to go do it and, you know, be dedicated enough to hunt till midnight or two in the morning. You know, sometimes I've been out and the coyotes are calling good and you just keep rolling and keep killing them. But, you know, why tie those guys hands for a, for a season? Yeah. It seems like that tide is turning. Like I think there's more and more pressure on DNRs and departments of conservation to bring, uh, predators under control. So I, I, I think it was a step forward that Missouri opened up night hunting. Cause for a lot of years that you couldn't do that. So, yeah, and, sure. and, and I think, I think I'm not speaking for them, but this is just my guess that, that they kind of do things incrementally. Like, let's see how this, like with bear seasons, like let's, we're just, we're going to have a bear season, very limited, no baiting. We'll see how it goes. Maybe eventually we'll open up baiting. It's always easier to start small yeah. and grow big as opposed to pulling away yeah. uh, abilities that you give people. J- just my guess. Have, yep. have you had much luck using? Because I know like you're utilizing thermals. Uh, do you are you using like the silencer centrals, the si- the banished silencers on your guns this year? Are you trying that stuff? Oh yeah, I've got a banish. Actually, their new backcountry thirty. And I have a built 243 and an AR frame with a thermal on it. And it's a deadly setup. I mean, you call it multiple coyotes. You normally kill one on the first shot. And then I normally just let them run. And they they don't really know what happened because it is so quiet from Mm -hmm. Silencer Central. And they normally run out there a few hundred yards and stop again. You normally get another shot at a different coyote. So it's a a huge help. Nice. Where do you aim on a coyote when you got them coming in? Uh, if they're facing me, you know, center chest, if, if they're broadside, I shoot them dead in the shoulder. Okay. So as you were out there, as you guys were out there doing your late season herd management, so you guys killed a ton of does, a hundred and some odd does over the whole year of cross, you know, all, you know, you, mostly you and Wade, but Mark and Josh, and I'm sure all, all the crew up there had, you know, yep. some hand in it. Well, <laughs> I can't imagine Mark sent me videos like during the kind of the heat of it when you guys were killing, you know, it might be 10, 20 a night, you know, between all of you. And it just looked like an (laughs) incredible amount of work. And it was like during frigid ass temperatures, like cold, cold weather. This is the kind of stuff that we kind of touch on, you know, uh, as far as the videos and stuff, but not really to the degree you guys are doing it because nobody's producing it you all are working and, and actually doing the killing and the gutting and the dragon and tagging oh, yeah. and all that stuff so i mean take us through the heat of this thing when when all you guys are trying to, to to get the tallies up and really do the bulk of the management yeah this year we didn't get the hard freeze that we normally do the winter was kind of mild and then we did get that week or so of hard freeze and so Wade and I try to coordinate wind direction and farms that are decently close to each other. So, you know, say I go out and shoot four and he goes out and shoots nine. Mm. Um, you know, I can zip my four up, get them loaded and then get over to him to, to help him or Mark's pretty mobile. Like, you know, say I shot 10 one night, he'd come to me. And if Wade only shot two or three, you know, let, let Wade do his own thing. Cause mm two or three deer we can handle ourselves pretty easy um but you know the best thing i think we did the last night we shot we shot 19 i believe one night um iowa had a rifle season open up so we had center fires with silencer centrals on them winchester rifles so 
we were uh we put them to work quickly and we killed 19 and then mm. mark josh and carson showed up me and wade you know we got them all to one spot and then uh you know mark had a sawzall one of us was i was in front with a knife zipping them open mm-hmm. mark would saw the pelvic in the rib cage and then wade was in the back you know just cutting and pulling the guts out so we kind of had an assembly line of gutting and then josh and carson were dragging them and loading them in the truck as we were uh getting them all gutted so it's 100 percent a team effort um it takes a lot of work and a lot of hours to shoot that many deer but some of the farms we had this year were just stacked up loaded up and uh you know we'll never grow food pots if we don't don't do what we did is is there any joy in shooting does in that scenario or does it feel more like a job i enjoy every trigger pull and i get excited on every trigger pull Hmm. but as soon as the deer is down you're like (laughs) Oh, crap. Here we go. <laughs> I bet when you kill nine, you're like, oh, oh my boy. goodness. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do here. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious, how long does it take you to field dress a doe at this point? I would say like normal speed, just, just doing it as I go. Mm-hmm. Not over a minute and a half, I wouldn't guess. <laughs> it takes me like 20 minutes. <laughs> Carefully don't want to cut them. Oh, I cut them. So, so, okay. So the next question I think some of the viewers or the audience might have would be, what do you guys do with all the meat? Yeah. I mean, we cut up nine or 10, I believe for ourselves, we can only eat so many deer. Um, and then a lot of local families, we donate them all, um, Amish families, normal families here in town, uh, Wade, Wade's wife, Kyle, has a contact that she used to work with. That family takes a a, a lot of them, 10, 20. And wow. then uh, the Amish families take a, take a pile as well. So they all get donated. Um, like I said, if you guys ever need deer, just, uh, just come to Iowa. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of us do. Can <laughs> you send some of that my way? <laughs> Right. So the, the the timing though on when you guys are taking these does, it seems like you typically wait until after um, after the, the peak of the season. It's kind of the end of the year kind of work. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that think you should shoot them early because they're not bred, which I understand their reasoning. You know, they could be bred with your next 200 inch buck. I guess if you're, you know, that into it, but also. In our case, you know, we're shooting one deer and sometimes killing three, if you will, because they are bred with, you know, uh, a fawn or maybe twins or triplets. So we're trying to harvest as many deer as possible. That's our goal. And late season is just another way to, A, implement that as killing as many deer as possible, but also, B, um, getting all the deer on their feet at one time to be able to shoot that many, you know, early season, you're never going to have 40, 50, 60 deer out in the field. It's, it's normally always late season, cold front, high winds. That's, those are the nights we kill the most. And, you know, in the late season, it's so easy to domino back the herd. How long does it typically take until they then come back out to the food source? Once you shoot. Yeah. 
I mean, back in the day when I first started with Mark and Wade, we were shooting muzzleloaders, could take 30 minutes. This day and age when, we, you know, you got a silencer central can on the front of there, I mean, sometimes, like, on a big field setting, Wade would be in one blind shooting north, and I'd be 250 on the other side of the field, you know, shooting north as well deer come out in different spots mm -hmm. but he'd have deer in front of him and i'd shoot and they'd just pick their head up and then just go back to eat jeez so that's how that's how much a, of a difference those those uh suppressors have made having killed so many so many does especially out there on a field where other deer are coming back i'm curious what your observations have been around how the deer that come back relate to that dead deer that's laying there certainly they avoid it some are curious some go up to it mm -hmm. um your big doe groups will kind of like get close to it and then spook and run sometimes they run out into the field sometimes they run away they they definitely know something's wrong and something's different but i don't think they identify it as danger mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. um you certainly get some some deer looking and being more aware after we've killed, you know, five or six in front of them. <laughs> oh, there goes Tammy. Ah, yeah. oh, Pam's down. Linda's down. <laughs> What's happening here? Yeah. Uh, one thing that always, you know, I find interesting watching the footage you guys lay down throughout the season. The amount, and I got to experience it firsthand. You know, when I when I went up and hunted with you guys this past fall, the amount of bucks that you have on a, on a piece and it could be an 80 acre piece. It could be a 180 acre piece, whatever, but it's, it seems like, man, they have a lot of bucks and watching it. It always seems that way. But the reality of it is, is that the management program behind the scenes has been this keyed in for a pretty long time. I mean, Mark's been doing this, you know, at that level for shit, I, I don't know, 15, 20 years up there. I'm sure, you know, trying to keep it at that one-to-one herd ratio so i think you know it's you guys are putting in a ton of work but you do see the benefits of it the next year and there's and it goes beyond that really because it kind of helps when you guys may have ehd years you know the die off i think it, it's it seems to be much worse when you have this giant herd you know I don't, so have you noticed the same thing seeing it firsthand on a daily basis yeah 100 percent. i mean ehd in some cases it is kind of like mother nature taking over. You get too many deer, the resource mm -hmm. can't support it and, and it wipes them out. So definitely in that case, you know, us doing the doe management and taking all those deer numbers out helps tremendously. Also from food plot standpoint, being able to grow enough food to support the deer that are there and to the natural browse pressure. Like if you walk through our timbers, you know, we, we still have a lot of deer, but it's not, you know, eaten out and there's still a lot of natural forage there for them. So you can kind of tell when your deer herd's getting overrun, you know. Um, and also to your point about the bucks, I mean, that structure has been there for as long as Mark's been doing it. And you can, you notice the bucks progressing and you have every age class. And I think a lot of farms that people get to hunt on, you don't see every age class. Like, you get to see where we're at because of the practices and the management that we've been doing. So it's a, it's a benefit. That's one hidden benefit 
in my opinion, to give to anyone on any farm anywhere in the U.S. is manage the herd, whether it's the does or your bucks. You got to keep them all under check. Have you seen a difference between trying to manage the deer herd in Missouri, uh, which is a rifle state, over-the-counter rifle state, versus Iowa, where, you know, in general, it's harder to get tags for non-residents, and, you know, there's, it's just a, you know, it's, they don't have the center fire seasons, well, I guess they have that late doe season now, but, but, you know what I mean, like, up to this point, it seems like the conservation departments manage it differently, and I feel like the deer herd reacts differently once you shoot <laughs> have you seen that and and actually going out there and trying to kill those in missouri versus iowa 100 percent uh when i first started we didn't get we weren't in the dmap program the first year i started and the deer numbers were just overrun in missouri we had deer everywhere and lots of them and then we started dmap we got that number down and honestly, in the three years I've been here, we've been working on our numbers in Missouri and not just us, but lo- other landowners that touch us. And we put a pretty big block together, too, and everyone's on the same page. And in my opinion, over those three years, we're growing some bigger deer in Missouri. Yeah. I also think that the rifle seasons put so much stress on the deer that they naturally just don't um, grow as big. They're just stressed out. And you can tell a huge difference growing from Iowa hunting late season to seeing the deer that are pretty edgy to going to Missouri and you go hunt late season down there Mm -hmm. and the deer are like stressed out cats that jump at a limb falling in the woods. I mean, it is insane how jumpy they are and just how weary they walk into fields and act. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question is yes, it is drastically different. Because we, you know, just even looking at like Terry's farm, you know, which is in North Missouri, and then Mark's farms, whether it's the Missouri farm or the Iowa farm. So Terry has been aggressively killing does for a long time too, 17, 18 years, however long he's on that farm. But he's done it, you know, up until this year, he was never on a DMAP program. So it was like, you know, mostly archery, it'd be, you know, and they, and the, I guess some of the best years when the antlerless season was earlier in the, I think it was uh, in December. It used to be in December. So after like the rut and everything, so he would kill a lot during then. And it was uh, late season December, I think for a while. So muzzleloader, he'd have his construction guys come up. Well then, you know, they'd kill 40 deer, 30, 40 deer. Mm, yeah. And then it got to where it was a lot harder for a few years. They changed the, when the antlerless season was, and he was doing it mostly with, with archery, equipment and him and force and it became harder his his deer i always felt like the size of deer never grew quite to the potential because the herd it was like crazy you go on on one of his fields and there might be 40 deer a night mm-hmm. on it yeah and, i mean you see a ton of deer but it's a ton of does and it's like hard to keep up with it and you know they tried getting aggressive this year they got on the dmap program they had like something like 41 tags and there were so many nights i mean they had mild weather during this period, but there were so many nights where they were getting skunked. Like they'd have three or four crews out and getting skunked and they couldn't mm-hmm. even reach the quota, but the deer are there. Yeah. Y- you know, it just seems like it's, it's even when you have this plan in place and you get the DMAP tags, they still couldn't kill enough deer. Mm-hmm. It's just, it seems like Missouri is so different in that, in that regard. We had a, we had a rough go here in Iowa starting out our late season shooting just because the weather was so mild. Wade and I would go to a spot 
that you normally see during late season, you normally see 20, 30, 40 deer and we weren't seeing but 10 to 15 and we were only shooting two or three a night. So that last uh, stretch of cold weather we got in the last week of season really is where we gained our numbers, but it takes the weather to get them on their feet, obviously. Um, sponsored by DeerCast here. We should all know this. <laughs> oh, here we go. Jeez. This whole show is one big ad. That's right. Um, I, as, as I get older, I feel more and more like a mature buck because I have less of a need for social gatherings. I don't like crowds. Don't make much. <laughs> also true. And I think about that, like, especially with, with one of my properties in particular, it's so, it's, it's a little suburban. There's so many does around and I only see bucks kind of, kind of creep in every now and again. And I, and it's no wonder, cause it's like, they don't want to be around all this traffic and all these other mouths and just all these other deer that they, they come in off public land where there's just thousands of acres of timber to just they just kind of dip in a little bit just because there's too many does and they they stay so reclusive and it's like i i, I just i don't know i've got to do more to take out gotta more, kill more does, more does but, yeah. but but uh, but perry kind of what you're talking about like it's work it it is real time consuming work and especially if you haven't killed a buck you hate reallocating your time away from your main mission of trying to kill a buck to also do the management that's required to eventually kill a good buck. Yeah. It's 22. I mean, late season up here, if that, if it's that last 10 to 12 days of season, we start shooting them when I don't get home till at least nine, 10 o'clock at night. That's just mm-hmm. a given. So just from the time it takes to gut them, load them, get them to our building, get them in the cooler. It's, that's just just what it takes to do it. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, you uh, had a really cool hunt this year, one of many, but you had one that in particular where you and Mark, it was a piece of property where there was this this little bitty, I guess, a little shed or something on it, and, and you know something that the deer had, you know, grown accustomed to nothing no danger being, I guess, in this shed. So they'd walk real close to it. You guys go in, you cut out kind of a couple holes, one for a camera, one to be able to shoot out of. And what you go back, you know, what, a couple hours later, and we're setting up to, for the hunt and here comes a shooter. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the two or three days prior to this, we had a keen Omega system with a muddy on it, on this plot. And, Lucille was coming in to hunt, and so we took it down to move it to a different spot for different wind directions to get it set up for her her hunt. Mm-hmm. And then the next day was first gun season, and I had a tag, and uh, we Mark and I hunted a different spot, but the Reconics camera showed us that night that the shooter was on the field. And, of course, we both looked to each other and said, he's there because we moved the blind. You know, he it was just that little coincidence i think but it uh it happened and so we're sitting there contemplating what we're how we're going to do it because we want to go hunt there the next evening when we have the same wind again and uh there's actually the little cattle shack that we sat in and then there's a barn about 20 20 yards south uh west of the shack we sat in and 
Mark and I were contemplating taking a ladder and getting on the roof of the barn. Sniper style. And you can see the you can see the whole plot from it as well. The cattle shack that we sat in, you can't see the entire field. You can see about fifty yards wide and about eighty yards long. You can see most of it, but not all of it. And so when we got there, we had a ladder in the truck, or we took a ladder with us when we went there midday. And we snuck up there and we're like, there's no way our butts are going to get on that roof and be able to shoot a deer on film. And so we uh, had a little Mark's little sawzall and we went to this little cattle shack and there was already a hole there for him to be able to film out of, but I needed a hole to be able to shoot out of. So we cut a little hole. It was like noonish. We went back to the house and uh, <laughs> probably two, 2.30ish, we jumped in the truck and sat at the end of the driveway for 10 minutes. Mark was contemplating if we should even go there or not because of the view, we can only see so much. You know, we had a, we had a 350 legend in our hand. So we had a couple other spots where the wind was correct. We, we could have saw you know 100 200 yards and be able to shoot the capabilities of that rifle and i was like let's just go there we got three days left of the season why not burn this day you know maybe something cool will happen well we get in there and uh i just unfolded my chair and sat down and i leaned the gun in the corner of this little shack and mark was putting a piece of gorilla tape on a tack cam behind us to get a you know rear angle of us mm -hmm. And he looks out the corner of it. There's like a split in the plywood. And he goes, there's a deer. There's another deer. And so he like, luckily he finished the tact cam and he like got in the corner. And <laughs> he sits down and he doesn't get the camera, but to, you know, halfway up and he goes, it's him. And I was Jeez. like, what? I, was, I looked at him like, are you lying to me? And so... I still had a rack around in the rifle in the Winchester. And so I do that as quietly as possible. Meanwhile, he's telling me to kill him, to shoot him. I'm, on I'm sure him, patiently him. saying that. <laughs> and uh, so I clicked the Tacticam remote, stuck the barrel out the window and pulled the trigger. And the rest is history. It was, it was the fastest hunt I'll ever be on in my entire life. And one of the most memorable as well. I mean, Stuff like that just doesn't happen very often. It's pretty cool. It's like the exact opposite of our entire season. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perry, I hate you a little bit right now. That's such a fun – I mean, that's, that is a fun – those types of moments are, like you said, that, that may never happen again, and it's so rare. So when stuff like that kind of clicks and comes together and it, it all happens fast, it makes mm -hmm. it such a fun hunt. Yeah, and, and it makes you drive on to continue to go out and sit even when you're not seeing anything, not seeing anything, and then because you never know when something like that's going to yeah. happen. Unreal. You so, just, just got to get back in the saddle, Tim. <laughs> A saddle joke. I like it. Some kind of <laughs> attempt at humor. I don't. Peter, you stinker. Did Mark put you up to that? No. No. <laughs> No, it turns out there's multiple people that make saddle jokes. <laughs> one of our one of our rack packers dropped a, a comment on our uh, pod on the Apple uh, iTunes podcast thing, and they're like, "A guy in a saddle told me to leave a review for this show, so that's what I'm doing." Yeah, another saddle saddle joke. Anybody can always make fun of a saddle guy. Yeah, it's easy, easy pickings. So uh, Perry, jumping back to trapping real quick, uh, I, is, if someone is 
maybe hasn't trapped before, what's like a, the easiest setup for someone to dip their feet into the world of trapping? Yeah, definitely um, coon traps. They work for possums, skunks, any of, any of those nest predators. They're called dog proofs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little canister uh, about yay big and uh, about, I don't know, four or five inches deep. And there's just a lever down inside there. And uh, you set that, put your bait underneath the lever. Um, I use cat food with a little bit of wet dog food mixed in. And uh, you just kind of take a stick and pack it in the bottom. And uh, they call dog proofs because they they are dog proof. Uh, You know, your your dog, a coyote, nothing can stick its paw in there. It has to be something with a like a hand paw type, if you will. And uh, they just stick their hand in there and pull up on the lever. And it's just a just a handcuff that kind of pinches them just above the wrist. That's so nice. Yeah. If you got they're real easy to set, they're real easy to, to, to handle and do. Um, and they're very, very productive. I mean, I, I think I had 20 out a normal day out of 20 traps. I'd probably say five to eight. Oh, so, geez. Um, that is productive. I mean, what's, what's typical retail on, on a dog proof trap? Oh, uh, they're anywhere from 1099 to 1399. Oh, so it's, you know, you could get could five or that. six of them pretty easy and, and start going at it. And if you have any small monkeys on your property, <laughs> you would know it too. Yeah, yeah. More importantly. <laughs> That's a rhesus monkey. What? If you live he by a zoo. <laughs> Got two spider right. monkeys, a couple raccoons. <clears throat> So Weird. on the coyote side of things, that that's probably a little more. Well, I shouldn't. I guess it's not more involved. It's just different, right? Like, what are you do? What are you doing? Because you you guys are going out there with thermals. You're not necessarily trapping coyotes as well, are you? Oh, uh, I had a few dirt hole sets out, but I didn't. The weather was so hit and miss, freeze and thaw, freeze and thaw, that it's hard to keep those. The I use MB five fifties. They're a pan set trap hmm. where the coyote has to stick his paw in the center of it. And then uh, you make a dirt hole and you put a little bait in there and kind of make an alleyway for them to walk into the trap. But when the ground's freezing thaw so much, those traps get pretty froze up. Um, so I didn't have set for very long. Last year I trapped a couple with them, but mainly just night hunting with thermals, which is such a game changer. I got into it two years ago and it's a, it's a blast. So are you running some sort of audio during that, you know, or is there a squeaker or what, what is it that you're, you're calling in with? Yeah. With an electronic caller, um, I have calls all the way from rabbits, distress, woodpecker to all kinds of vocal sounds from coyotes, howls, breeding fights, coyote fights. Um, I mean, it's amazing. Some of the callers that are out there these days and, and the things that they put on them to, uh, have you seen a certain sound that is more successful or is it just always different for every setup? I would say this, this time of year, your breeding sounds, because this is the coyote rut currently, if you will, this is their breeding time. This is when they're, you know, getting territories and finding mates. And so, you know, rabbit always works good. Any distress always works. If the coyote's hungry, if he's willing to come into that, but, Currently, I would say your, you know, your howls, your coyote fights and your, you know, interrogation type type 
sounds that are going to make that coyote in that area mad because it could be his territory or his breeding area. It's a little unorthodox, but I know that one sound that a lot of coyote guys will use is Joy Behar. <laughs> From The View? Mm-hmm. Very she, grating. I don't know, she's not on there anymore, I don't think. I, I haven't watched in a while, but she, she used <laughs> Come to on, be Tim. at least. <laughs> so I, I, we had footage, actually, it was last week on last week's episode, of Forrest and Ben were out. I guess predator hunting or force. I, I don't remember which one. And they had one of those collars out and an uh, owl flew down and flew on top of the collar. Yep. You see, that, have you ever seen that before? Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Even at night, like it'll be pitch blackout obviously. And we're looking through our scopes and I, our scanners, I have a thermal scanner as well. And all of a sudden you'll be, the collar will be playing and you'll see, a heat signature in the sky mm. flying around, you know, looking or searching for that distressed animal. And that would creep me out. You ever see anything <laughs> in your thermoscope that you're like, I don't know what that is? 100%, many a times. Uh-oh. Well, like, like, He's a manly man, so he doesn't get scared, but is this something that would scare a regular type guy? <laughs> no, I've never seen anything with two legs, so oh, okay. it's uh, – Normally four-legged, but at a distance, it's very, you know, you get five, six, seven, and farther, um, hundreds yards out. It's it's difficult to ID your your heat signature. I mean, anything from a coon to a rabbit jumping around in the field. And, mm. and honestly, like, it's pretty wild, you know, 200, 300 yards. If you're sitting in a field, open cut, you know, whether it's cornfield, bean field, whatever, you can see the field mice running across oh. the, uh, the ground. That's how much it picks up. Wow. What, what are your average shots? I guess how far of a shot will you take with a coyote? And then what is, what is your average shot when you're doing this setup? Uh, last year I shot one at two Oh five. This year was one seventy five for the longest. I don't normally, you know, over two hundreds kind of a stretch. Mm-hmm. I would say a normal shots probably, you know, hundred ish one twenty. Yeah. yeah so they normally I normally have to call at 50ish yards and they normally check up at at 80 to 100. So this is it's similar to deer hunting in the fact that you got to have the wind in your favor, right? You want the wind in your face and you you're kind of I assume you're using deer cast wind check just to even figure out where you're going that night or what what, you know, what spots yep. are going to be good spots to go to terrain wise, all that. Yeah, my my night routes are 100% planned off the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because 10 out of 10 times that that coyote comes, he's either going to come straight to the call or he's going to make a big loop and try to get downwind of you. Mm. So you got to be slave to the wind, just like deer. Mm-hmm. One of our deer casters wrote us and told us that he's using deer cast maps and the terrain feature, like the terrain map in deer cast maps to at nighttime, especially when he goes to a new property, figure out kind of the little funnels and the ditches where coyotes like to run and he'll set up on those. Even, nice. though, even though he can't really see them in, you know, at nighttime when he's getting there. Uh, but just kind of another cool way that people are adapting deer cast maps to predator <laughs> hunting. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. For sure. Sweet. Well, we we're just talking about the real wild clip from last week. You yeah. guys want to see what we got loaded up for this yeah, week? Yeah, let's see what the So Perry, by the way, when we have when we have guests that don't know us, we always give them a chance to leave during this section. 
we're not going to do that for you. You got to stick it out with us for all the shenanigans at the end here. Yeah, I know you guys pretty well. Pretty well. <laughs> okay. That's what she said. <laughs> okay, let's check out the real wild clip this week. I think this comes to us from Forrest, Terry's farm manager. All right. Well, then it better be good. Whoa. Oh, it's a white turkey buzzard. Man, I've never seen that before. He's white as can be. That's racist. He's all white. <laughs> don't say that. He's just sitting there on the ground looking around. I don't think there's anything dead there. It just looks like he's, he's just hanging out. Chilling, <laughs> which is weird. He, they're off putting to begin with. <laughs> and an albino yeah. one is even, well, I guess mm-hmm. he's not. Well, is he truly albino? He looks like it. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd have to see his eyes. If yeah. he has pink eyes and he's a true albino. God, creepy. I bet They're his name creepy is powder. <laughs> I bet he'd poke your eyeballs out if you laid oh, there long yeah. enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what they start with. <laughs> I love the eyeballs. <laughs> what do you think the heat signature on that one would be? Mm. White hot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can we... Can we just be done? Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that joke. <laughs> that was a good thermal joke. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. That, Barry. That's the real walk clip of the week. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> All right. So we got nope. the question of the day. Maybe Perry can help us. So the question of the day is probably, oh, nope, you said probably, presented by DeerCast Windcheck. Pick the right setup on your next Predator stand with custom wind animations out to five days with DeerCast Windcheck. I had not read that. Really? And... Huh. We tied it in. It's almost like crazy. you knew I would say that. All right, so this Weird. one's from Sean. How much does Tim Wells practice to shoot dove and ducks out of the air like he does? Well, maybe Perry can't help us with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Perry, what do you think? <laughs> so I texted Tim. and Oh, oh fancy. He says, <laughs> thank you. Laud me. Perry, would you laud me? Just continue. He's not going to laud me. He's just going to sit there and watch. Tim says he doesn't practice. What? Tim says he doesn't practice. He's like, who goes out and practices goose hunting? Like, I mean, I get what he's saying, but he he's 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 honed that skill set somehow. He's a really good archer. Obviously, he shoots his bow a lot, but he doesn't. Pra- he said he doesn't practice flying shots. He's got, he's one of those guys. His hand-eye coordination is just incredible, though, because yeah, you know, and he was what was it? Was a he's a javelin thrower in college, yep. and mm-hmm. I mean, like scholarship guy. Like we had him on the podcast not long ago. He talked what a little podcast? bit. The one that we have, this Ooh. one. Oh, this one we're on. This is a sh- <laughs> and uh, he talked about it a little bit. But I would assume all those things play into his ability to shoot at something while it's flying yeah he said he practices on live birds which is to say he just goes out there and does it yeah so i mean i wonder what his success ratio yeah is. i wonder how many arrows he's lost over his lifetime i mean probably not many honestly he just seems like he's really ultra talented Where do you, I, I saw one it was years ago i think he was hiding behind a hay bale and sh- past shooting ducks as they flew by and he, I was, he was using flu flu, so it's a little easier to find your arrows uh, in that setup. But flu flu, flu flus. Have you shot a flu flu arrow? No. It's a big, like powdery, <laughs> feathery uh, uh, fletching at the back end. Uh, I've seen them. They go out fast, but they slow it. It's like a parachute almost. For gotcha your, for your arrow. So yeah, they're pretty. 
they're pretty cool. Yep. Isn't that what the guys that will shoot those um, like frisbees out of the air with? Mm-hmm. Basically, yep. I don't know what like discs that yeah. they'll shoot out of the air. They, they accelerate shoot real quick and slow down real yeah. quick too. Gotcha. Yeah. So, He's so. definitely when he got started. He definitely had to spend hours and hours, whether it was at a range shooting at something or practicing on live birds. Like you just don't. You just don't pull up and hit flying geese with a with a bow and arrow. No, mm-hmm. hell, you can hit him with a boomerang. I mean, the guy is incredible. <laughs> he, I, I think I've told this in the podcast before, but we were at the Golden Moose Awards one year, and this was like maybe the last year they had it, or one of the last years they had it in Vegas at Chacho. Show. And he won. He he was on the Sportsman's Channel, and so it would have been after. Um, Cronky Sports Entertainment, who owns Outdoor Channel, they bought Sportsman's Channel, and they combined the two networks for the Golden Moose Awards. And he won – I forget what the award was. I guess this was the first time he had won anything, you know, after you know years of maybe getting nominated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And his speech, it was the best speech I've ever heard. And, and in it, he talks about some – teacher he had maybe in grade school or something that basically told him he was you know not gonna amount to anything and if he you know sits if he spends all his time outdoors he's never gonna get an education you know just kind of belittle them yeah hey he brought that lady's name up on stage (laughs) and just like totally railed her (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) like but he he's actually a very eloquent speaker as well oh great writer too you get that sense when you watch his their productions his narrations he's writing all that stuff yeah. and it, he's gifted he's a gifted guy and and it's it was he kind of wove the story on on stage there when he won that award and she got thrown under the bus that's <laughs> pretty Dude, good my kindergarten teacher told my dad the same thing like on the last day of school when he came to pick me up she was like tim's a great kid awesome to have in class this year but he really needs to get involved in something else other than hunt or something other than fishing. And dad goes, well, he likes hunting too. And she just rolled her eyes. Like he's not going to be, he's not going to be well-rounded enough. But like, if a kid is passionate about those one or two things, then let him roll. And look at the award that you won this year. Yeah. In your face, (laughs) Mrs. Kaufman, respectfully, (laughs) if you're still with us, I don't know. Perry, I don't know if you can see what these say, but it's the You Stink Deer Season 2022 Award, and we both got one. We were both blessed with one this year. Very prestigious. Tim, did you shoot a buck out of the saddle this year? Mm, Seems like Perry doesn't fall along with your season. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't see me in DeerCast, right? So I I, I did not shoot. I saw a cool video of you in a saddle shooting does. Which was mm, I wasn't. In, awesome. I wasn't in a. I was in a, a, a muddy tree stand in those. That must have been like videos. maybe the um, natural born promotion. Could have been. Yeah. Because he's well, in. You're in an episode yeah. of this season. I, I I killed a decent buck out of a saddle on public land last year. Last year. Uh, yeah. Twenty one. Yeah. Well, it's even cooler that you were in a tree stand and shot him. So. <sighs> Do my best. Really, really impress people. That's my brand. <sighs> All right. All What's right. this wildlife word? Wildlife word. It's brought to you by live Doppler radar and deer cast maps. <laughs> you can turn on <laughs> Doppler radar and watch it. Ooh-wee. See the snow coming and jump on those frost seeding apples. Get out your saddle and climb on yeah. down. I wear my saddle all the time, even when I'm not hunting. Giddy up. Just <laughs> hey, who gives out those uh, horrible deer season awards? Well, Don Jensen gave us these two, but I think someone <laughs> here had set it up. 
Al in. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, you guys will never get one up there. So. You're safe. <laughs> You're pretty much safe. <sighs> if you ever want to waste your year, come down and hunt with us for a little while. <laughs> yeah, we'll guide you. <laughs> it's not that we. I sent the meme in the group page that in the text group text that one towards the end of the season and it was it's i think i shared it into the rack pack but it was like uh a guy a cartoon he was looking in the mirror pointing at himself and it's like it's not that you suck it's that the deer suck at standing in front of you yes <laughs> i like that that yeah that's it well i've got a show and tell in a, in a few minutes here that's gonna partially explain my deer season. doubt it mm-hmm. all right What's the wildlife word? Depending on the terrain, a coyote's howl can be heard how far away? How far away? Whiskey. Get it? Who? (laughs) A, three quarters of a mile. B, ten miles. C, one mile. Or D, three miles. How far away can a coyote's howl be heard? Perry, you get to go first because you're the guest, but you're also our expert here. So uh, what do you got? I would say a mile. Okay, so Perry's got C. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking either one or three, but three's a long ways. One. I'm going with one. Yeah, yeah three. That's a long way. That's ways. rough. One. C. Yep. Uh, so the answer is D. God dang it. Three miles. Based on the terrain, obviously that plays a big factor, but uh, ah. the research shows they can... They can howl out to three miles. Have you ever, I'm sure you have as much as you guys are tracking and recovering deer, but been on a track job or recovery job where you're like, holy crap, these, they're howling, they're close, there's more of them. They're scared. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had them come up pretty close on you while you guys are recovering a deer at night? Yes. Yeah. Very Freaky. close. <laughs> Creepy is what I think. Be beyond comfort level close. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough that when I was on the track job, it was a bow hit deer. I didn't have a weapon. We had the, the hunter had the bow with him, obviously. And I was like, where's my rifle? Yeah. I need my rifle. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Feel unsafe. I was very uncomfortable. Yes. Which doesn't happen very often. I, I was blood trailing a deer. I shot one year. It was that it was earlier season. And it was art, it was an archery hunt, and I, I encountered a coyote who was blood trailing my deer. <laughs> he was just ahead of me. He was doing a better hey, job. Hey, what are you doing there. here? Yeah. Ooh, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's like who gets the well, deer now? I had killed a deer in the late season. This is maybe three years ago. We shot it during the muzzleloader season, and we wait a great. You know, we felt like, oh, this is a great hit. We waited maybe thirty minutes. We were doing like the cutaways and stuff. Yeah. We get down. We were struggling to. This was before we were shooting those bleed bullets. Um, <clears throat> you know, and the is before the tradition uh, nitro fire. And yep. traditionally, historically, I should say, we weren't getting great like blood trails so we were looking around where i shot him we couldn't find a blood trail finally i was like he's dead let's just go look you know over by the wood line where we Mm -hmm. saw him run let's just go over there we get over there so i'm talking maybe maybe 45 minutes 30 to 45 minutes after i shot him coyotes had already eaten the ass end out of him and i mean we were just 
I mean, just behind right there. him. Yeah. And uh, so then Scott goes to get the side by side, and so I was waiting there. I was tagging him and all that stuff, and then the coyotes start howling again. And I, mm. Let me tell you, I felt really vulnerable <laughs> at that moment. Pitch Scott. black. <laughs> like, all right, should I be reloading the muzzleloader? <laughs> Like, just get your knife out. Scott left your side and you got scared. That's right. That's, yeah. hey, more times than you know. <laughs> Imagine if you ever heard a mountain lion ball. Oh, Ooh. I would, I would leave. Here comes the poop. <laughs> like, all right, there's enough hunting. Yes. I could just. I have, I have heard a bobcat screech like they do in, in the wild. That's creepy. It is, it'll make your hair stand up. Yeah. Real, like, high pitch, isn't it? Yep. Like a, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah scream almost there were a, like at least two or three screech owls that took up resident on a residence on one of my deer hunting properties this past year i've never encountered screech owls like i have this past fall what do they sound but, like oh but like when they get going stupid, like but no, like the but monkey it, it sound just, it's just like a one and done like oh. the woods are dead quiet and then like a monkey <laughs> like, <laughs> like a howler monkey out there in, in, in the tree <laughs> but yeah ugh. We we were hunting with Cameron one year, and the, a couple owls started kind of doing that, you know, where they yeah, were talking back and tr- yeah. And he was just looking at his eyes where he was like, "What is that? Are we gonna die? <laughs> That's actually an owl. Those are yetis <laughs> trying to right. figure out who's gonna eat who." It's weird. He hadn't hunted with me since. <laughs> <laughs> he was traumatized. All right. Okay, so we got a shout-out from Rich Taron. Uh, he gave us five stars over on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it when people do that. He says, this is almost the best podcast that Drury Outdoors is affiliated That's with. That's brutal. <laughs> All jokes aside. Did Perry up- or Wade leave this? No. <laughs> Keep up the good work. You guys do a good job of entertaining while bringing in other people that have great insights on deer and deer hunting topics. And Perry, you also are good sports about having tough seasons and being able to show you still have positive outlooks while being able to laugh it off. It's a great skill to be able to laugh tough seasons off. And anyone being honest with themselves has has had or will have a tough season at some point. Again, keep up the good work. Well, we appreciate the feedback, Rich. Thanks for leaving the Shout out. Yeah. All right. So we're okay. down to the end here, Perry. As you know, because you are a Rack Pack member, one of few from the Jury Outdoors wow. team. Thank so we you. appreciate you. The Rack Pack is a private Facebook group for Very private. like-minded individuals. Losers. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> mo- no, the Rack Pack, many of them actually Most kill them stuff. did kill this year. Because <laughs> we saw yeah. all the heroes. We were yeah. seeing all of them all fall. I had to. I had to dive in the rack pack because of uh, the Perry button. Everyone was uh, just bashing me. Ah, and I was like, that's I was like, I got to jump on this thing. I got to figure out what these people hate. Keep me your for. friends but, close, uh, your enemies closer. Turns out it was just Mark talking crap about you yeah, <laughs> on the exactly. podcast. Surprise, exactly. surprise. The rack pack's fun to be in. I like it. What about you? Yeah, I, I see great shares and questions in there and people killing stuff. That's right. Mm-hmm. Most people. All right. So I'm going to list out some new, some names of some new members. And uh, there's a fake name in here somewhere. And uh, I'm going to butcher that name and probably other people's names. So we got Corey Joe West. Corey Joe West. So anytime you see somebody has three names like that, usually they're a, mm-hmm. a fakie. Usually they're a killer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Think about yeah. it. Like 
all the killers in history, they always say the person's middle name with it. I've wondered about that, and I think it's because they just try to specifically identify that person and not like, hey, John Smith. Is, I'm not trying uh, to disparage Corey Joe West. I'm just Corey's saying. Corey's actually my cousin. Oh, my, shit. My, my, little, my little cousin. <laughs> and I can guarantee he's not killed anyone. Okay. Joe West is, I think, uh, MLB was an MLB umpire. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, Wilbur. <laughs> Wilbur Hackensquirt. I think that's the fake name, Tim. Really? Powers of Wilbur Hackensquirt. <laughs> Wilbur Hackensquirt. No one's ever said the name Wilbur quite like well, that. Well, with these names, oh, I always got to figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. Wilbur. Hey, Mom, here's my Hack- friend Wilbur. Squirt. <laughs> All right. We got Jackson Pruitt. We got Derek Ullman, Kenny Grisham, Jake Carroll. Chris Glovin, Drew Deckman, Stephen Hackworth, not to be Ooh. confused with Hack and Squirt. <laughs> you pronounce it Hack and Squirt if you're outside of St. Louis. If you're in St. Louis. <laughs> I, I'm shocked that that surprises you, that oh, people yeah. in different Adding letters towns, to someone's last no, name. No, they switch them all together. Because in St. Genevieve, Bazler. it's Balsler, but it's spelled B-A-S-L-E-R. But in St. Louis, it's Basler, which is really the way I think it should be pronounced, B-A-S-L-E-R. People shouldn't take over someone's last name like that. Look, well, I don't know what to tell you. Derek Ullman, you are the fake individual. Sorry about that. (sighs) Well, Perry, Mm. this this was your first time on this here show, wasn't it? Yeah. Is it everything you hoped it would be? It is beyond. Yeah. I yeah. thought we had Perry on before. No, we've tried getting him on like two or three times. The last time, I think Mark <laughs> canceled his Same day him. for him and sent him somewhere. And <laughs> yeah. Every time I told Tim that every time we are scheduled to have you on, like then I see you on Working Class or on Wired to Hunt <laughs> or on. I'm like, God dang it, Perry. <laughs> People don't, don't want to hear from him now. They already know what he's going to say. I just literally, that was it yet? No, it was last, the end of last week. I was like, you'll never believe this. I just saw Perry on Wired to Hunt. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a man in demand. What can yeah. we say? We, uh, I think the last two times we tried to get on was during the season and you know, had the day open and then plans change. You got to yeah. go move a blind or mow some corn or, you know, whatever it is we got to do. So, yeah, well, it happens. we blame, understand because you guys actually kill stuff up there. So <laughs> blame that on uh, blame that on MD. Yeah. yeah. The mad scientist. Well, yeah. somebody was killing something on my piece of dirt. I'm supposed to be the only person hunting. That's why we have this. This is not a victory arrow here. This is a trespassers arrow. And it's heavy. It's definitely like, heavy like ranch fairy heavy yes <laughs> yes ranch and uh, I, I found this out <laughs> pulling trail cameras and uh and it's it was well on my side of the property how many days does it take you to pull trail cameras <laughs> an hour right? <laughs> depends on how fast i'm walking uh but but there was meat and there was hair on the uh the broadhead unfortunately so i don't know what this individual Killed or wounded, um, or how much intrusion he or she committed, but kind of frustrating. Huge. Yeah. Timmy! 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 Wasn't you, Perry, was it? <laughs> you think that person was walking through your woods like, Timmy, Timmy, Timmy! Screw this guy's season. <laughs> it wasn't me. If, if he was saying that... <laughs> Then I say, let him have whatever deer he shot. That's creative. <laughs> he earned it. I don't think so, Tim. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, Perry, thanks for putting up with the shenanigans, buddy. Heck yeah, guys. Had fun. I think Perry would be a great onset addition, like a co-host. It's Ooh, a shame yeah. you live so far away because <laughs> it would be fun to have a Perry as like a regular co-host on the set. Yeah. You hear from someone that kills stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like good. You got free advice that you're giving out, but he's giving out good advice. <laughs> Useful. <laughs> we never promise that uh, people are going to find useful things on this show. That's right. Just that we'll say things. <laughs> All right, well, Perry. If I'm, ever buzzing, if I'm ever buzzing back home, I, maybe I can jump in on it in person. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. All cool. right. Well, good luck with the rest of the predator hunting here in February in Missouri and whatever else you're up to. And next up is turkey season. Well, next up, shed season, I guess, and then turkey season. Turkeys, they can keep the horns. You know what? Have you guys noticed that most of your deer are shed up there or not? No, we got a lot holding yet. Mm -hmm. I actually found the first, uh, second shed yesterday, and it might be the biggest one of the season. It's a large one. Uh oh. Well, text me a picture. Don't text him, though. Okay. I like to see pictures. I'll text him an edited picture and I'll. Don't send him a tick pic. Redacted. (laughs) (laughs) The earliest I ever got a tick in Missouri was uh, February like 9th. Uh -uh. (laughs) That's pretty early. That is early. That's rough. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Barry. See you, buddy. Till next time. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast. DeerCast.